Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Several years ago, my eyes just popped open one morning and I just heard Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. That scripture reference just kept running through my mind. Now, that, as far as I know, was the first time that I had ever read that scripture. But as I turned there that day, my eyes fell on Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, as I was looking down to verse 19. And it says, For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. And it was just like the Lord was saying, Whatever I'm asking of you, it's not going to be too difficult. And it's certainly not going to be out of your reach. And so that was just an encouraging word that sort of corresponds with 1 John 5 verse 3 when he says his commandments are not burdensome. And then on down in verse 19, the Lord said, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants. Okay, I want us to read that one more time. Because God said, I'm calling not just earth to witness, but I'm calling heaven and earth to witness that I have set before you life, death, blessing, and cursing. And it said, and you choose. And he tells us which one to choose. He said, you choose life in order that not only you may live, but you and your descendants. Now that's a tremendous commandment with a promise. Now, a lot of you have that scripture memorized, but at that time it was new to me. Now, since then, many times when I'm praying for someone, I will have them verbally confess, I choose life and I choose blessing. Now, the reason we do this is because there are a lot of people who are subconsciously choosing death, and that cycle needs to be broken. Now, first of all, what exactly is death? I got to thinking about that, and I thought, Lord, what is death? And I'm not necessarily talking now about physical death, but when you think about it, death is very simply the absence of life. See, there are so many people that are not dead, but they're also not experiencing life. They're moving around in this physical body and they're breathing and they're moving in a physical world, but they're operating in a death situation. See, they're in the absence of the God kind of life. Now, anytime we're under any kind of oppression of the enemy, it doesn't matter what area of our life. It could be bitterness, it could be anger, it could be sickness or disease or poverty or fear or hurts or jealousy. It doesn't matter what it is. It's not life and it's not the Zoe God kind of life when we're operating in that kind of oppression. Now God set before us this life and death and he's not necessarily saying choose to stay in this physical body or leave this physical body. He's saying so much more than that. He's giving us the choice to live in the absence of death. Jack calls it kingdom living. He's given us the opportunity to move into kingdom living in every area of our life. And that's what he's calling us into. Now, I believe in these last days that God's calling people to make the choice more than ever before. And as people make that choice, there's literally a line being drawn. And you have people that are making their choice for life and blessing on one side, and then you have other people that are stepping across that line, and they're choosing death situations. Maybe they're not choosing it subconsciously, but they're making that choice to operate in a death situation. Therefore, God's wanting us to be instructed on how to look in the Word of God and how to make these choices. 
how to make the correct choices. Now, we've been told, choose life, choose life. But how do we do that? Now, I want you to look in verse 20 because God gives us in a nutshell how to choose life. He says, number one, by loving the Lord your God. Number two, by obeying His voice. We're His sheep. We're going to hear His voice. By obeying His voice, what He calls us to do. And number three, by holding fast to Him. And he's the word made flesh. So by holding fast to the word of God. And he said, this is your life and this is the length of your days that you may live in the land that the Lord's given you. Okay, now God's given us the instructions in a nutshell for choosing life. But today I want us to expand on those instructions. Now I felt like the Lord was saying that his people say, I choose life, I choose health, I choose prosperity, and they want it but they don't understand what it involves in not only choosing it, but possessing it. See, we have to choose it and then possess it so we can begin to walk in it. So many people want life, but they don't want to make any changes. They don't want to have any changes on their part. Now, that's why we need to see what is involved in choosing life. Now, I believe that the Lord showed me a key in choosing life. You know, there's more to choosing it than simply saying, I choose life. Now, that's a start, and we need to begin to confess out loud, I choose life. But the words, I choose life, have to be accompanied with the action of selling out to the life giver. That's where life comes from. And when we sell out to the life giver, that's how we choose life. Now, I want you to turn to Revelation 3, verse 20. Revelation 3, 20. Now, this was a word that was given to the Laodicean church age, the last church age. Therefore, this is a word for us today because we're living in that Laodicean church age. Now, this is not a word for the non-Christian. This is a word that was given to the church. This is given to born-again believers. And so in verse 20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, and I will dine with him, and he with me. Okay, I want you to read that one more time. Behold, he said, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice, hears that tug on their heart, and opens the door, I'll come into him, and I will dine with him, and he with me. So he's saying, I'm standing at the Christian's heart's door, and if they'll open up, if they'll be responsive to me, if they'll seek after me, I'll dine with them. Now, what does it mean to dine? Okay, it means to partake of food. He's saying, I'm going to share spiritual food with you. I'm going to share spiritual insights and spiritual revelation. See, if we're open up to that tugging on our heart's door, then that's exactly what the Lord's going to do. He's going to come in and share these spiritual insights. Now, a decade or two ago, we saw this particular scripture just come to life in the church world. People in every denomination across the nation and around the world were given the opportunity to open their heart's door for a deeper walk with the Lord. And many of you were involved in that. There were lay renewals, there were lay witness teams, faith alive, every single denomination. In fact, I don't know a denomination that was left untouched. And there were those in every denomination who responded and had their love walk with the Lord enhanced. They got into a deeper walk with God. Well, since then, that invitation has continued to be responded to by people all across the nation, all around the world. It's a choice to simply choose life in a deeper spiritual dimension. 
Now, it's the same invitation that we read over there in Deuteronomy 30, 19. That's exactly what that was talking about. It's just life in a greater dimension. Now, we can choose life to any degree that we decide that we want it. But the Bible teaches us that we are to move from glory to glory to glory. See, we don't just move from darkness into the full glory of God. He tells us that we move one step at a time from glory to glory to glory. Now, some people stay in that first glory, but God's wanting us to move on in. Now, we can interchange that word glory with the word life, and we can choose to move from life into a deeper dimension of life into a deeper dimension of life. And we're the only one that can stop the process. God will take us as deeply as we care to go. That's exciting to me. There is no way that we can experience all there is of God in this life. And so he'll take us as far as we want to go. I think we're going to find out when we get to heaven someday that we didn't even scratch the surface. We could have gone into the depths of God's spirit with him and we stopped so short so many times. But he's knocking at our heart's door and he's saying, come on, I'll take you as far as you want to go. Now, Jesus told us, he said, I've come to give you not only life, but I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. In other words, we don't just have the life of God, but he said, I'm going to give it to you in abundance if you'll just open the door to me. Now, every Christian starts out by choosing life when he makes Jesus Savior. Now, at that point, he's choosing life and he's changing his destiny from hell to heaven. He's changing his destiny from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that's wonderful. And he has light. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and then have it more abundantly, even more abundantly than that. Life in a greater dimension. And that's what Revelation 3.20 is all about when Jesus is saying, I'm standing at the door knocking and I want you to allow me to give you that life in an even deeper dimension. Now, the Bible tells us that all have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. Now, most of the time we've emphasized that all have sinned and we haven't really emphasized the coming short of the glory of God. And I know that there are a lot of people in the world who have never received Jesus and they've come short of all the glory of God. But we as children of God, we're still falling short of God's glory in some areas of our life. That's why we need to start emphasizing the last part of that scripture. And we need to start saying, Lord, we've all fallen short of the fullness of your glory. And that's why he's continually calling us, not just to choose life by accepting Jesus as Savior, but he's saying, I want you to choose life and choose a deeper dimension of that life. And the way we keep choosing life every day is by continuing to sell out to the life giver. And that simply means that we choose to do everything we do His way, every day, making His Word that final authority, walking in vital union with Him. I love Colossians 2.6 in the Living Bible because it says, Just as you trusted Christ to save you, now trust Him for each day's problems and live in vital union with Him. See, that's how you continue to choose life. So I want us to ask ourselves today, have I really chosen life in every area? Have I chosen the absence of death in every area of my existence? Now, we all know that we haven't done that in every area. We know that we've chosen more glory in certain areas of our lives than in others. There's some areas where maybe we've really gotten the word to working and we feel really good about these areas. 
And then we know that there's some other areas in our lives where we really don't have the fullness of God working there. And sometimes I want to push that aside and I don't want to think about that. I want to concentrate over there on those areas where I do have the word working. But God is saying continually in Deuteronomy 30, 19 and in Revelation 3, 20 and other places, he's continually saying, choose life now over in those areas where you still have a death situation reigning. See, he's ready to come into those areas and dine with us and reveal truth that's going to bring life and going to bring light into those dark places. Let me give you this example. I was talking with this young man some time ago, and he said, I believe in health, and I believe in healing, and I believe in God's prosperity. And he was telling me all these things he believed in. But he said, I just don't go along with the deliverance part. And I started showing him in the Word of God the, the Scriptures, and he said, I don't care. I just don't go along with that. See, he was choosing death in that one area. Anytime we fail to recognize some portion of the Word of God, then no matter how small it, we think it might be, we're choosing death in that area. Now, it'd be nice if we could isolate that little area and where we fail to choose life and just kind of set it aside, but we're a body. So anytime we've chosen death in any area, it's going to affect the whole, and we're not going to be operating in everything that God has for us. Now, that young man's eventually going to find out that his health and his healing and his prosperity and everything else in his life is going to be affected by that one area where he said no every time. Now, that's why God pleads with us not to hold back in any area because no matter how much I mouth, I choose life. If there's an area where I've held back and kept from doing it God's way, I'm going to have a death situation reigning and it's going to affect me in other areas. So today, I'm going to concentrate in on three important areas. And I want us to apply this principle to choose life in the area number one of relationships. I want us to apply this principle in the area of the words of our mouth. And then number three, the calling that God has on our lives. I want you to turn to Romans 12 verse 18. Romans 12, 18. Now, this is the scripture that needs to be foundational when it has to do with our relationships. God's wanting us to take an honest look at every relationship in our life, and he wants us to choose life in every one of them. And we do that by saying to it that we go by God's way in every one of these relationships. Now, there's probably no area where the flesh tries to rise up any more than in the area where we're dealing with relationships, especially the close ones. And so in Romans 12, verse 18, the Lord said, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Now that needs to be foundational. If you can make peace without violating God's word, without compromising the principles of God, then do it. He just simply says, Be at peace with all men as far as it depends on you. Now, that's a part of choosing life. Now, it's really easy to feel justified and to think that we've done our part and to think that the rest is up to the other party. But we're living in the days of the final cleanup. I believe that with all my heart. And even if we're 90% right in what we're doing, God's calling us to look at that 10% and choose life there. Choose to do it God's way all the way. Anytime that I feel like I've been treated unfairly, I need to ask myself, 
how I'm reacting. I need to examine that part of my life. Do I put up a wall? Do I retreat into the hurt? Do I get in pride over the fact that I think that I'm right? Do I get into self-will? Or do I make an effort to communicate and work it out? And even if it's not possible to work it out, am I willing to sincerely pray for the other person? See, God's not satisfied until we choose life in 100% of our dealings by choosing to do it God's way. Clear to the very end. Some people will start out right, and they'll do it right, but then after they feel like they've been mistreated for a long time, they'll finally blow it. And God's saying, no, trust me to the end. Now, some people have a death situation ruling in their marital relationship. Maybe it's not ready for the divorce courts, but if life is not reigning to the extent that God wants it to reign in our marriages, then there's still going to be a certain amount of death that's there in that existence. And most of the time, it comes from pride. I think in every marriage situation, we're going to find that most of the problems we run into comes from pride. Anytime Jack and I see things differently, I'm going to think I'm right and he's going to think he's right, he's right or we wouldn't have a difference. That's human nature. And many times we're going to find that in a marriage relationship, it really hurts there to have to put down the flesh. It hurts to put down that old self-will and come to an agreement. But if neither partner is willing to budge, then we're going to find that death is going to be reigning. See, God is looking for marriage partners. He's looking for men and women who will sincerely say, Lord, is there any area where I might be wrong? Is there any area that you're trying to deal with me where I'm at fault? I want to know the truth. See, so many times we really don't want to know the truth. We can say all day long, Lord, show me the truth. But we need to examine our hearts because so many times we really don't. And God's wanting us to say, Lord, I want to know what I can do on my part to bring life into this situation. Now, it's the same dynamics whether we're dealing with our children, whether we're dealing with our best friend, whether we're dealing with our boss or our co-workers. It takes humility and it takes a desire for the truth to be able to say, Lord, I'm willing for you to shed light on what I'm doing wrong and really mean that. You know, why is it so easy to be able to see what somebody else is doing wrong? <laughs> it's so easy to be able to see it on the other side. But God doesn't tell us that we're to choose life in that other person's life. He's saying you choose life. You choose life for yourself. And that's what's going to bring the light into the relationship. And we have to be willing to say, Lord, I'll do whatever it takes on my part, on my part to bring your life into this and to let it rain. Change me in any area that you see fit. And when we come to that place, then God's going to let his abundant life flow in. And that death that has been reigning will be driven out. Okay, let's talk about choosing life by the confessions of our mouth. You know, most people pay absolutely no mind whatsoever to what's coming out of their mouth. And they have no idea that every word that comes out of their mouth is even is either allowing life to reign or death to reign. Now, this is sort of a side note, but I want you to look at Romans 1, verse 28. I was shocked when I read down this list, and I found that God named the traits of a depraved mind, and right in the middle of the list, he named gossip. I was so surprised. And so in Romans 1, verse 28, 
It says, just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. And I've read through this list so many times, and I thought, that really doesn't apply to me. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, and then gossip. Then he goes on in verse 30, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. And we think, Lord, why would that be right in the middle? But it is so important, the words of our mouth. He names gossip as one of the things that comes with a depraved mind because it's so important. He doesn't want us to follow the world. He wants us to use our tongue to bring life to the circumstances that are around us. Okay, how do we do that? I want you to look at Ephesians 4, verse 29. Ephesians 4, 29. Now, some people think that just by saying nothing, then that's going to be the best avenue. And maybe on occasion that's right. But God has given us words to bring grace to the hearer, to bring life into the situation. He's not wanting us to stick our head in the sand, but he's wanting us to use our mouth for good. And so in Ephesians 4, verse 29, this is one scripture that I think we should all memorize because it says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that's good for edification according to the need of the moment that it may bring grace to those that hear. See, the words that come out of our mouth need to be words that edify, words that complement, words that encourage, words that bring life. That's one way we have of choosing life. Let me give you an example. We've had telephone committees from time to time that will call the different members to tell them about different activities in the church. And one of our telephone volunteers called this lady in the church and she was telling her about this particular activity that we were going to have. And when she got through telling her all about it, the lady said, that is exactly what we need. That is going to bring so much unity and that's going to bring so much goodwill. I think that's just wonderful. That is the best idea. I don't know who came up with that, but that is a great idea. Well, the telephoner got off the telephone and she was so encouraged because that lady's words had just picked her up. Now, the lady could easily have just said, thank you for calling, and that would have been fine. But she went a step further, and she brought life into the circumstances with her encouraging words. Well, later, when they all got together and compiled their list to see who would be coming, she made a comment about how encouraged she was after she had called this particular lady. And they all said, oh, anytime we call her, she's encouraging. Every time we call her, she's excited and she's very supportive about what's going on. Okay, that lady was choosing to administer life with her words. She wasn't just flowing along and just letting whatever happened happen. She was using those words to bring life. Words of optimism, words of victory, words of praise. That brings life in whatever it is that we're doing. Now, there's going to be adversities that come, but the first step for coming out of those adversities will be to put God's Word into the situation. Speak forth the positive based on the Word of God. Speak forth those words of deliverance. Speak forth the Word of God. Now, I could give you examples for the next two hours of people who were faced with hopeless situations and they dogmatically chose to believe and say the Word of God. 
say what God had promised. And they trusted God. They were obedient to what he told them to do, and it brought life. Anytime we choose God's word, we're choosing life. In fact, there's not life in anything else. That's the only thing that has life for us is the word of God. So to go any other direction other than God's way, we're going to find that death's going to reign. Now, I've shared this before, but when my niece was thrown from the horse and rushed to the hospital in Abilene, I've never heard so many bad reports at one time in all my life. You know, they were uh, everything from the fact that she might not live through the night to the fact there might be brain damage or blindness or deafness. And right in the middle of all of this, in the face of the doctors giving all these bad reports, my brother turned to me and he kept saying out loud to me everything that God had promised. And he just kept saying Psalm 91 over and over. He was just telling me. And it was right there in the face of all these bad reports. But life reigned over that death situation. And I looked and I saw that her mother and her daddy never made a bad confession ever in that entire time. They always said exactly what God's word said. And death was driven out and life came in and reigned. Now see, the choice of life is really the choice to sell out to God and make his word the final authority in every area of our life. We can't just choose to make his word the final authority in one or two areas. We have to make it the final authority in every area. That's what it's all about. But for so many people, there may be some degree of fear when it comes to selling out to God. Sometimes the thoughts will come, I wonder what this is going to require of me. I wonder where this is going to take me. How much of this is going to conflict with my own personal goals and my own personal desires. Listen, we need never to be afraid of a God who loves us so completely. And I'll go a step further. Unless we do sell out, unless we do choose God's life flow, it doesn't matter how many goals we make and how many we reach we're still going to feel empty and we're going to feel unfulfilled. And we'll continue to go around that same mountain over and over because there's no fulfillment, there's no satisfaction in the absence of life. And life can only come in through God, through His way and His Word. Now, I've always hated confrontation. I never wanted to hurt anybody's feelings. And I took on a lot of false obligations and I found that I would compromise a lot of times because I just didn't want the confrontation. Well, finally, the Lord showed me that I was circling the same mountains over and over. It'd be different names and different faces and different circumstances, but it was a constant repeat. And the Lord showed me that a death situation was reigning and it would continue to rob my peace and it was going to continue to rob my time and my energy and especially it was robbing my joy until I chose to choose life by doing it God's way. See, we can't compromise God's way just to avoid confrontation or to avoid anything else. That's choosing death. Now, so many people fear that life is going to be dull and going to be boring if they go all the way with God. I can't tell you how many people that I've talked to about going with God and they say, well, I want to live a little first. They just have some things they want to do. Well, there's probably no bigger misconception than that. God is the creator, and he created within us the desire to enjoy life and have fun. He's the one that put that desire there. He's not going to put that desire there and then take away all the things that are fun. Now, when the pleasures of sin that bring death 
when they're submitted to God, then God will replace those things and he'll replace them so subtly with the good things that we never even miss those things that were there before. That's God's exchange system. Now, no one can comprehend God's kind of fun until they experience it personally for themselves. There's no way to go and explain to a non-believer how much fun it is to serve God. They have to experience it. It's an exciting high, a deep joy that just can't be put into words. There's nothing more fun than ministering to someone and see them start to receive the Word of God and see their eyes light up and light turns on and they get so excited because it starts coming alive on the inside of them. Anytime you see the scales fall off of someone's eyes and you see the revelation begin to come to them by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's an indescribable joy that you just can't even put into words. And it's so much fun. God intended that to be fun. He could have done it all. He and the Holy Spirit could have done every bit of it. But he chose to allow us to be partners so we could get in on the fun. That's part of it. We used to be in Pepsi and on the 75th anniversary... They had a convention in Disneyland, and they spent several million dollars to show the bottlers a good time. They didn't spare any cost, and it was fun. But for those who didn't know the Lord, I watched them, and it was just an emptiness. They might as well have been sitting at home. They weren't even enjoying it, in spite of this million-dollar extravaganza. And we look back now, and we realize that all of that blowout was no more fun than... It is today serving God and seeing his miracles come to pass and seeing the Bible prophecy being fulfilled right before our very eyes. And we've talked about that so many times and we said, yes, that was fun. That was a good memory. But nothing compared to what we're doing now in the kingdom of God. See, nothing that this world has to offer can give us a thrill like walking in the will of God. Now, I'm going to give you one of the main keys to the God kind of fun, and it's just the fact that it brings fulfillment. The things in the world that are okay, I mean, even okay things that give fun, it still doesn't give us the fulfillment. But serving God brings fulfillment, it brings satisfaction, and it brings a contentment that never fades. You're constantly contented. There's just a contentment down on the inside. See, fun in the world becomes a memory. But God's kind of fun is never a memory. It's a fulfillment that never ceases. And the Lord began to show me that. He said, yes, there's things in the world that are fun, but they become memories. But he said, when you're walking in my word and in my will and in the calling that I have on your life, it never fades. It never ceases. Now, God created us with a desire to have fun, and so he's not going to put that desire on the inside of us without then bringing about the things that give us more fun than we can describe. He'll just replace those things that were counterfeits with the real thing. And he'll do that as we choose life by submitting our will over to him. Now, if you had told me years and years ago when I was doubting the very existence of God that I was going to be standing up here today telling you how much fun it is to serve God, I wouldn't have believed it. It wouldn't have even made sense to me. But that's how God is. Before we choose life and sell out, then we aren't told how wonderful and how much fun it is. But afterwards, after the fact, it gets to be so much fun and it's so good that we just say, Lord, why didn't you tell me how good this could be? But we have to experience that. Now, most of the time, there's a fear with people that if they sell out, 
they might have to go to Africa or preach on a street corner or something else. And that's one of the devil's favorite fears. But God is the one who births those desires down on the inside of us. And so he's not going to call us to do something without putting the desire and the excitement to do it. That desire and that excitement is going to already be there if he's calling us to do it. I don't have any desire to go overseas and be a missionary. But my friends who have become missionaries, they could hardly wait. That's all they could talk about. They couldn't wait to get overseas. See, God has already planted within your spirit the seed desire for your calling. And so we need to just look in there and see what it is, the desire that's already there. And when the fear of having to do something that you don't want to do is gone, then you're going to be free to start realizing what it is that you do like, what it is that God is calling you to do. So ask yourself, what do you enjoy? Working with children, music, electronics, computers, selling on and on. God has ministry calls on our lives, and he plants that seed desire, and that pulls us into the place where he wants us to be. Now, you may be saying, well, how do I know if what's going on in the, inside of me, how do I know if it is a desire from God? Well, does it violate the Word of God? Does it cause you to compromise right and truth? Does it cause you or somebody else to stumble? If it does, then it's a fleshly desire. And Galatians 6 verse 8 tells us that if we practice the fleshly desires, it'll bring death. But if you walk away from the counterfeit, God's going to usher in the real thing and you won't be able to believe how good it can be. Now, the fear of going all the way with God is a messenger of the enemy, and it's sent to keep us from the blessings, and it's sent to keep us from coming into the fullness of what he has us to do in these end days. And when we realize that, then every time that fear comes, we can start rejoicing because we can know behind that fear there's going to be a blessing. There's going to be a breakthrough. Now, fear involves loss. We're afraid that we're going to lose something. And if God's telling us no to anything, it can be from from a trip to a date to a mate. If he's telling us no, then we can be assured that he wouldn't say no if it weren't less than the highest for us. Because his desire for us is always going to be the very highest for our life, the very highest. He created us. He knows what's the best for us. Therefore, anything other than God's will is going to be less than the best. Now, choosing life means trusting God unconditionally. It means no more traditional thinking, no more self-will. Paul, before he came to Christ, he was a very religious man. But he depended on his worldly credentials and his traditional thinking. And he thought that he could serve God by persecuting the Christians. He honestly believed that he was doing what God called him to do. But after Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and after his life was turned around and after he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing your own thing? Why are you trying to serve me your way? Why are you in a death situation? Then Paul saw himself as he really was. He saw the call of God. And immediately Paul chose life. And when he did, God used him to turn the known world upside down. Now, God's getting ready, I believe, to turn the world upside down again. And he's more than willing to show each one of us the part that we're to play because he's wanting us to all find our place, get in in the army and find our place. 
And we're going to find that we're not going to be a carbon copy of someone else. He's not going to call us all to do the same thing. And so I want to end with an illustration that was written by Richard Roberts because I think it describes exactly what happens when we sell out to do it God's way. He said, I grew up in a healing ministry watching my dad pray for thousands of people. I've seen miracles of healing too great to number. I've seen nearly every disease that could be inflicted upon a person by the devil be healed by the power of God. Blindness, deafness, polio, epilepsy, cancer. So I believe in the healing power of God. All through my 20s, I ministered with my dad primarily in a singing ministry. It wasn't until I was 30 years old that God called me to preach and take his healing power to people. For a long time, I wondered how that would ever come about. I remember after a service one night before my healing ministry had begun, I had preached the word and was closing in prayer. Right in the middle of the prayer, I heard myself saying, Lord, heal this man's toe. And I thought to myself, why in the world did you say that? Well, two weeks later, I got a letter from a man who had been in that service, and he wrote, and he said, Richard, my toe had been broken. I'd been to the doctor to have it x-rayed. When you said, heal that man's toe, my big toe snapped, and I could move it without pain. I went back to the doctor for another x-ray, and it showed that the toe was perfectly well. I went to bed that night and closed my eyes, and all I could see was a big toe. Night after night, I'd see that toe, and I wondered, could this be the beginning of a healing ministry? My desire, now notice the desire. I said, look for the desires. He said, my desire was to see people get their needs met. So my wife, Lindsay, and I began to ask God for a healing ministry, praying according to Mark eleven twenty four, which says, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. We joined together and we said, now by faith, Lord, we receive it. Though we didn't have it yet, we had it by our faith, and we believed it was on the way. Two or three months later, I was preaching to a crowd of several thousand people. I preached with an anointing like I'd never had before. I'd given the altar call, and 500 people stood for salvation. Then, before I realized what I'd done, I asked anyone who needed healing from arthritis to stand. To my amazement, several hundred people stood. The first thought that came to me was, what have I done? The second thought was, what if I fail? Then I heard a voice inside me say, oh, you've already done that. Besides, you're not going to heal them, I am. So I began to pray in the name of Jesus. I remembered seeing a woman come into the building earlier that evening. She had used a walker, and it had taken a long time for her and her husband to come to the front and sit down. When I looked up from my prayer, I saw that their two seats were empty. The man was standing with a walker in his hand, and his wife was walking across the floor. I said, ma'am, what are you doing? And she said, I'm walking. Can't you see that I'm healed? And I said, but ma'am, I didn't touch you. And she replied, you didn't have to touch me. Jesus did. That was the beginning of my healing ministry. It's true that my ministry is different than my dad's. The Lord has led my dad to touch people when he prays for them. He's always felt the anointing in his right hand. But the Lord has called me to bring healing to the people in a different way. He's used me to speak the word of faith. I feel the anointing through my voice. People have often asked me, how are you going to fill your father's shoes? I know I'll never fill my father's shoes because he wears a size 11 and I wear a nine and a half. But I've discovered that I can fill my own shoes out to the toes. And they're the only ones that God has asked me to fill. Aren't you glad that God never calls us to be anyone but ourselves? 
He calls me to be me, and he calls you to be you. And I thought about this after I read it, and I thought he could have said, I sing beautifully. I already have a music ministry. People love to hear me sing, and that's what I'm going to do for the kingdom. And he could have been just like Paul. He could have had a preconceived idea. And sometimes people do that, and they dogmatically stick to that, and he would have missed out on the ministry that God had called him to. But it wouldn't have been the fullness of life. And that's why God's telling us, don't just choose life, but choose it more abundantly. And so I believe that the message today that God's wanting each one of us to hear is that he's calling each one of us to hear him very accurately. And just exactly like it says over in Deuteronomy 30, 19, that we choose life by loving the Lord with all of our heart, by hearing his voice and being obedient to that voice and holding fast to his word, holding fast to him. Father, I thank you for the fact that you have presented before us life and blessing and you've told us to choose life, you've told us to choose blessing and you've told us exactly how to do it. Now, Lord, I know that you are standing at the door and you're knocking and you're calling each one of us into a deeper walk with you. And you're calling each one of us to allow you to bring life into every situation, every circumstance in our life. Father, I thank you for that. I thank you, Father, that you'll never say, okay, you've gone far enough, as deeply into your spirit as we desire to go. And, Father, my prayer is that each one of us will respond to that call and will not be satisfied and slow down, but we'll want to go from glory to glory to glory, from life to a deeper life to a deeper life in Christ Jesus. That's the desire of our heart, Lord, in Jesus' name.